Swim Swam podcast coming at you. I'm host Garrett McCaffrey, our guest today, one of the best club and high school coaches in the country, Dan Flack of Baylor School. Dan joins us from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Dan, thank you so much for making the time. Happy to be here. Good to see you. You guys are just coming off of your state championships. Is that the high school state championships or is that like kind of the state club championships? High school state championship. It was an interesting year. Yeah. How did it go? Well, first of all, it went. So that was awesome because for a while there, it didn't look like it was going to happen. Uh, we swam great. We had, we had a great eight. We won the girls, boys. Uh, boys was very satisfying because we weren't really supposed to win. Um, we swam very well, uh, and it was a u- unique situation. It was kind of a, uh, it was done virtually. It was chopped up into four different, um, sites, uh, to accommodate the different parts of our state. Uh, so that e- even one site was in actually in Mississippi. It wasn't even in Tennessee. Uh, to get the facilities we could accommodate everybody with the uh, number of constrictions that were uh, doled out at each place. Yeah. Did you guys come together for a championship or even that final session was timed final for comparative virtual championship? It, it was strictly time final and four different, four different sites. Like you said, though, at least it went, at least it went. Yes. And, yeah. You know, I kind of want to dive into a lot of it, but I know that, Coaches across the country are interested to hear how high school season went, if it went, and, and those things. And you've got a unique perspective that I'd like to spend a lot of this time kind of diving into as a high school and club coach, and a coach yep. who's so accomplished at that level. I mean, you're an eight-time national team coach. You've been you know, named head coach of a bunch of the junior teams that have traveled across the world. Um, and you've coached – it's unique because I don't think there's any coach with the um, – credentials that you bring to the table and the success that um, hasn't spent a lot of time coaching college. And I don't have any problem with that, but I just, I guess my first question is what has kept you, um, you know, fulfilled and excited to come back coaching high school age kids for this long now, over two decades. It's, it's funny. Um, I was very fortunate at the beginning of my coaching career. being in some great stops along the way, North Carolina, Brown University with Matt Critch, uh, University of Georgia, part of a national championship staff. Um, and in every stop along the way, I got to uh, coach a group with the college program and then be the either the head coach or the senior coach of the club team that ran out of that. Um, so I got a lot of education on the sport and got to to see, like at the University of Georgia, for crying, I, I was in there with obviously Jack. I uh, shared an office with Carol Capitani uh, and Whitney Heights. Uh, Steve Boltman was on the staff, of course. The great Harvey Humphreys. Um, it, it was a real wonderful experience, especially at Georgia, because you know they're all very, they're all wonderful, acclaimed coaches, but they're very different people. Um, 
and inevitably in a college situation, stuff happens, stuff comes up. Um, and I got to see some of the best minds in the sport, you know, figure out the answer to the problem or the issue or the scheduling situation or whatever it, it may be. Um, so I was very fortunate in that, in that realm. Um, you know, I went to, I was very fortunate to grow up swimming for Dick Schulberg growing up at Germantown Academy, a, a top, uh, prep school. So I kind of feel like all the different experiences I've had um, kind of led me to this place uh, where, where everything and every component of the sport that I love and want to be a part of, I, I have it here, um, which, is, which is really cool. It keeps, it keeps me busy, keeps me thinking. What are those components? What are the things that you need you know, it, I guess it's obviously not age um, necessarily. What are the right. things that make Baylor uh, a one-stop, everything you could ask for, for from a coaching standpoint? Um, well, I always joke and say, especially relative to the high school program, um, we run it like a college program with younger people. Um, a component of our uh, program about 25% of it lives here are boarding students um, the rest are local kids uh, like I love dual meets I love writing lineups I love figuring out figuring out that puzzle right I, I love that I get that you don't get that in clubs with right I get that here um, it, it was funny just with our last meet um, especially in the boys events uh, I did some some deep dives on the competition and where our, we could maximize our points. And uh, going through that process had some epiphanies of, oh, such and such should not swim this event. They should swim this event, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. I love that. Um, the club component, you know, we still go to nationals, junior nationals. We're going to be going to Olympic trials. Um, it gives me uh, that club outlet. Um, to prepare kids, and we can do it year-round. We've got a beautiful 50-meter pool here. Uh, we can go yards, we can go meters, we train both. Um, and through that, I've been fortunate, like you said, to, uh, to coach several United States teams, and, and that's been awesome because that's my favorite thing, actually, is see, using the sport of swimming to see the world um, and get exposed to, again, different ways of doing things. Um, I'll never forget my first World Junior Championships in 2011 in Lima, Peru. Um, that was a wild scene. You know, they're still – I remember telling Chase Kalish, hey, guys, we got you might want to move over um, as we're doing our stretch because they're still soldering the, the, the scoreboard up, you know, a day and a half, two days before the meet. Um, and you get there and you got the Russian team likes to do it one way and the – the Chinese do it another way, the Japanese, everybody's doing it uh, their own way. And it's quite a, uh, it, it, it was quite wild to me. I, I really love, enjoyed that. So those are the components that, uh, you know, it kind of touches the bases of, of, of all those things. There's a real, you know, with high school, I had a parent tell me this meet. And sometimes, you know, I've been doing this a while now, so I forget it. But um, her son did really well at our meet, and she said to me, I think this is the first time where he really got exposure to swimming for the team. And, you know, anybody who's done college swimming, 
that, that's everything in college swimming. It's, it's, it's swimming for your squad, swimming for your team. Uh, whereas there's that in club swimming, but it's not the same. You know, it, it's really just not the same. Actually. Yeah. I want to kind of take a quick step backwards to those college days, because I did know about the time with Georgia, and I had – as you said it, remi- remembered that, you know, you got to coach with Credit Shit Richmond as well. Um, when you Brown. Back, Brown. Sorry, Brown. Brown. I apologize. Uh, but okay. when you go back to that staff at Georgia, can you give me one good story of Jack or the staff and, like, all of those personalities kind of being together at the same time? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I mean, it's tough to see that uh, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. like hear a Jack story or maybe it's a set or a practice or a pep talk or any good story from that year at Georgia national. I, I, I can tell you too. Yes. Um, first, uh, when I was at the facility, the beautiful facility that they have there, um, you know, it still looks like a million bucks, uh, still holds its own with any facility in the country. Uh, at the Ramsey Center, um, it was brand new, and we were hosting uh, NC two A's there. So, um, in two thousand, sorry, this year two thousand two thousand one. Yeah, back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And you know, we're we're the shiny new toy, right? So, and we've got a good team, and everybody. And I mean, everybody wanted to come swim us, Let's get some swims in, in the pool before NC2As, et cetera. Um, everybody was all, was, was very fired up uh, to come swim us, you name it. So at one point we're in this big staff meeting. Again, I'm just, you know, I'm a sponge at this point. Uh, I had, a, I was in an awesome spot because uh, Jack had actually coached me back in my Germantown days when he would come and be an assistant for Mr. Schulberg. Jack took me to my very first uh, junior nationals out in Mission Viejo in the early 80s. Uh, so I, I had, we're both Philly guys. We love to talk, you know, we could talk the Phillies and the Eagles and all that stuff. Uh, so I was always in a real good spot with Jack. Um, and I really, in those meetings, tried to, again, be a sponge and just listen. Just listen. Uh, and I, so I didn't perk up a whole lot. But at one point, we've got, like, now I'm embellishing, but it seemed like 65 dual meets, right? <laughs> um, because everybody and their brother literally is wanting to come racist. Uh, and all the coaches have great relationships with all these teams, so they'd love to see their friends and the coach community, et cetera. Um, and I finally, you know, we're up to a lot of dual meets. And I finally was like, I'm like, I don't mean my mean being the jerk here, but don't we have to train at some point? <laughs> you know? Uh, and everybody kind of stopped and looked and they were like, you're right. And immediately, you know, a couple, couple of the, uh, the teams started getting uh, scratched off the list and we whittled it down to a uh, more manageable schedule. Yeah. Uh, so. That, that, that was pretty funny. Uh, and, the, the, and the other story that was just so eye-opening to me, it, it made it clear to me why I never wanted to be a college head coach. Oh, jeez. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, um, why I did not want to be a 
a college head coach was uh, it seemed like Jack did an awful lot of stuff. Oh, he that seemed like he did. He did an awful lot of stuff outside of the pool. Um, and there was many days where he'd come in and be like, Danny, come here. All right. And, and Jack always coached the main group. He's like, you've got these guys today. Here's the practice. Cause I've got to do, um, I've got to do this, that, or the other thing. Uh, it was an Olympic year, uh, that year is 2000. And we were in a situation where, especially with the girls, like, you know, three, sometimes four of the finalists that were probably going to be in the final heat at trials were in our pool training together, um, which made it tough. Uh, he had to be as much a psychiatrist some days as a coach. Uh, and he pulled me aside and he said, just remember, if you're going to be great at this, people look from the outside and say, man, you've got it made. And he's like, it's never easy. And I always remember that because uh, he's right. Um, it is never easy uh, in those situations. You've had experience at every level of the sport. Um, and like I said, for the last 15 years at Baylor and then a little bit yep. before that, I think at the club level as well. And I'm a club coach now too, not anywhere close to your level. Um, and so I ask a lot of questions about college, but I don't want to seem like I'm pushing any coaches towards college, although there is a weird career path that is constantly pushing you in that direction for some reason. That's the question. It's like, you know, when you're first dating a girl, when are you going to get married? You get married, when are you going to have a kid? When you're a club coach, it's like, hey, could you see yourself coaching college? And you know that they're not asking Dave and Eddie, hey, could you see yourself coaching clubs? So. Sure. There's kind of a weird, you know, for better or for worse, built-in societal pressure pushing coaches towards college. I, like you, see some of the benefits in this, call, in this uh, club level where you can get the fulfillments and the challenges. And I've found that you have to kind of let go of a expectation of level of performance or else you're going to be chasing that forever if you're and obviously that stuff comes you can see the accolades behind you Dan I mean you've done everything from nag record holders to you know team champions to all that stuff um, but at some point did you have to kind of check your ego a little bit and like have a, a realization because I'm sure that there's been a, a young college coach who doesn't really realize how great you are and comes up and just kind of big times you or something. We've all had it. Those punk college young coaches who've never even coached club before who like think because they've got that, you know, team logo that they are a better coach because they're at that collegiate level. Have you had to, how I guess have you approached that pressure and that what I have to assume is kind of an ego check in some ways. <laughs> yes. Um, it's funny you bring that up. So uh, it, it actually happened on Swim Swam. I can tell kind of a story uh, along those lines. So um, I'm a graduate of the University of North Carolina. Um, a lot of people apparently didn't realize that I coached there for a while. Um, Sorry about that. No, it, no, it's okay. Uh, I mean, it's ancient history. God. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
But so being a graduate of, of Carolina, when the job came open, you know, there's all the speculation in the comments and stuff. Uh, and somebody commented, um, well, Flax, he's, he's good at the high school level, but he's not ready for the college level, et cetera. And, um, and I chuckled to myself. But I was like, well, I coached way more, more at the school, um, you know, conference champions. <laughs> like, I coached a bunch of them back yeah. in the day. Uh, so, no, it's, it's – uh, I found that very humorous. Um, but here's what I'll say. Everybody's got to do with what, what suits them. Um, this is the shoe that fits. I am, I'm 56. Uh, a lot of people don't think I'm that old. Um, and I consider myself remarkably young at heart. Certainly, uh, my hairline doesn't necessarily agree as much, but, um, 56 year old, you know, um, this group of kids keeps me young. Cause in my mind, when I was 12, I was 25 and I still think I'm, you know, I'm 56 and I think I'm 25. Uh, so, um, coaching this level, I'm, I'm extremely comfortable with it. Um, and, and also it's the other thing you can have such an impact on these kids lives at this point, uh, a lot of teaching going on. A lot of teaching going on. It's funny. I used to live on campus here, uh, and um, I was amazed how much coaching I could get done in the dining hall during dinner. Now the kids didn't realize it, and a lot of times I didn't realize it. But upon further review, uh, we got a lot. You know, I got a lot of communication um, outside of the pool and relationship building with the with the kids just sitting around the dinner table um so to the point where i realized i, I during COVID, i thought about a lot of stuff I'm like oh okay when well, we have this opportunity to go back um after morning practice now i cruise up to the dining hall and eat breakfast with the kids right? you know and chit chat with them and uh i find i get a lot of relationship building done during that time uh because once once they get here to the pool, it's kind of go go go. We're you know right after school, and uh, you know we've got the club team that comes in afterwards. So we've got our fixed set of time, and we got work to do, right? So, uh, um, but I really enjoy working with this level of kid, uh, this age of, of a child, and the and the other thing that's so unique and so cool about Baylor, um, you know, we're not just dealing with kids. About 70 to 75% of the team is from locally here from Chattanooga, but the rest, all over the world. Uh, we literally have kids from all over the world um, on our team over the years. Uh, I'm super proud of in the front of the building, we've got um, all the flags representing all the different countries we've had kids come from. And then we've got on the other side, all the flags where we've had kids compete. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's a unique situation that's, uh, it, that, that's really, really cool. I, you know, in, in many ways, I think I have a cooler gig than most, most college programs. I completely agree. And it's, it's right in line with what you said from the very beginning is one of your biggest values in, in the sport and that's to see the world and you're bringing the yep. world to you in a lot of ways. Correct. 
and you know using your expertise as an avenue for that and i think that that's wonderful to a have the awareness and b then you're allowed to you know fill in all those other pieces of you know productivity and all those pieces around at at what point and this is from a coach who can't go to breakfast with them because they're not all on the same like campus i'm just wondering sure. at what point does that we got work to do um give way to the we got relationships to build if you get that chance at practice in the water or you know dry land is a chance where their head isn't in the water very much that just i guess i want you to talk a little bit more about the relationship and the importance compared to the work which we all know works yep um being on campus with them that you get those opportunities uh that you know your average club coach just isn't uh, doesn't have that opportunity. Uh, you know, I was a dorm parent as well. So some of these kids, there was about a five-year stretch where uh, the school started funneling. I actually didn't want them uh, to funnel the kids into my dorm, but for about a four or five-year stretch there, um, a lot of the swimmers were in my dorm. So I would, I would easily say to them, look, when, when, when we're at the pool, I'm coach. But here, um, when we're in the dorm, I'm your dorm parent, and the, with the parent being the, the operative word, and that, um, you know, my apartment's open, uh, you can always come in here and uh, watch Sports Center, or, you know, snag a slice of pizza if we got extra, or, what, or whatever the case may be. Um, but I'm not going to talk swimming with you here. You know, we're going to talk everything in your life, but. Um, and and that was really helpful that they could um come in and chit chat my my son was a little guy then i'd be like hey you want to score points for coach take him out and get him tired run run him around you know throw the ball with him because uh he you know he was all what he still is but when he was a little guy he was all boy you know whatever whatever season it was he wanted to play that sport um so i'm like go shoot hoops with him go throw the football with him whatever uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get big points with me. <laughs> it kind of laid a foundation for a, you know, relationship building, but also for you to be able to kind of set boundaries. Cause eventually that little boy grew up and he's not all the way grown up, but he is a young, a young man now who, uh, swims big boy times like 426 in the 500. So, um, at some point that transitioned into swimming and was that, ever something that you thought about when he was that little kid picking through all the different sports? How did it kind of come to swimming? And then the bigger question, how do you, how do you coach and be dad? And I, like I said, it sounds like you kind of had some practice laying that foundation, but I guess I just kind of want to know how that whole path came to where it's at now, where your son's working out with you. Can we pause this for a second? Let me, uh, plug in my battery here. Yeah, no problem. No problem. It's a perfect place because you just plug back in and answer the question. They can edit that together or maybe not edit it together. And now this will just stay as part of the podcast. And in that case, we appreciate you listening. It'll be worth it. Um, so. All right, I'm, re I'm ready now. Let's do it. Three, two, one, go. Ah. <laughs> that didn't quite work out. Uh, technology's never been one of my strong suits. Um, 
that, that's a, that it's it's a it's a funny the way the way it evolved. He was a very just by nature um, of the business. Uh, when he was a little guy, I was a single parent with him for a big chunk of it. Um, so he was kind of a pool rat. He was always down. He he would take the water polo ball and shoot hoops and have these imaginary uh, games into the pull up bars that we have on the on the side of our wall. Um, and every once in a while, I'd be like, "Hey, you winning or losing?" He's like, "Well, we're down, but we're we're all right. We're gonna be okay." And I was like, "Yeah, go get him, Tiger." Uh, but so he was always around the pool and very observant. Uh, he used to ask me all the time. Uh, Dad, who are the good boys and who are the bad boys? <laughs> uh, um, and I'm like, well, you know, this one is a really good kid, obeys the rules, and da da da. And this one, yeah, we, we we still got some work to do. So it allowed him to be extremely independent. Um, it, you know, he, he grew up on this campus. It's a very safe place. We never locked our doors. Um, and it also allowed me to put a little bit more responsibility on on Sam uh, when he was a little guy. I was like, okay, you know, we I can get you to Little League, no problem, but you've got to feed the dog and do your homework and go to the dining hall and eat dinner and be down here by this time. Uh, and if you do that, we, we'll leave and you'll be, because he never likes to be late or anything. So we can be, we'll be there uh, with no problem. Um, so that, but he, like I said, he was really into the ball sports and he swam as a little kid. Um, I always should, I just thought it was funny. I really thought the whole circle of life was funny. Um, I used to tell people all the time, because my daughter, she's graduating here. She's done great. Uh, she's going to Texas next year. We're super proud of her. Um, and I used to say when they were little kids that, Julia, my daughter, had a ton of my mom in her, and Sam, my son, had a ton of me. So whenever I had a conversation with them, I had a good idea which way it was going to go, um, the, way, the way they carried themselves and thought, etc. cetera. Uh, so the whole experience of him growing up on campus, um, I think he went as a, a Baylor football player like three years in a row for Halloween. Um, I had the football coach get, get him like the real Jersey and real, real whole thing. I mean, just, just cool stuff like that. Uh, but he played all the ball sports and I always thought he was like, he was pretty good at a lot of them, you know? Um, and I never thought he would be a swimmer. We did summer league. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I remember the first time he was six. And it was the championship meet, and he was going to do the 100 IM. And I said, all right, Sam, I got to do this, okay? What's the order of the strokes? And he's like, Dad, I know the order of the strokes. I'm like, all right, you're good. Go have fun, you know? I was the dad always bringing Dunkin' Donuts, you know, to the summer league meets and, and uh, you know, everything you probably wouldn't want a parent doing later on. I was like, yeah, let's go. Just go have fun. You know, that's, that was the whole point of it. Um, but eventually, uh, he played football like his first year he could here. Um, I think he got his brains beat in because he was a lineman. And he's like, maybe this isn't as glamorous uh, as I think it is. And he kept on swimming. 
and he stuck with it. Uh, our middle school coaches, Coach Lauren, Coach Brian, did an awesome job with him. Uh, mixing, keeping it fun, and but slowly but surely teaching him the sport. Um, and eventually he kind of came to me and said, hey, I want to swim. I was like, okay, you sure? <laughs> you know? Um, but I think the best thing I've always done with him, I know the best thing that I've always done with him is this. Uh, I've made it very clear. Uh, you know, there's dad and then there's coach. And if we're to swim meet, uh, and I still say this to him uh, to this day, do, do you want dad to tell you how you did? Or do you want coach to tell you how, how you did? And to his credit, he is very clear on who he wants. Um, and, and, you know, coach tells him, well, this is good. And, you know, he's made nice, really nice progress in the 500. But I was like, you know, you watch Trey Freeman race a lot because Trey would always, one of our great swimmers here, uh, Trey was not the most aggressive going out in a race. And I'd always say he, he did hero ball. He would come home like a maniac at the end. And uh, this year at our December shave meet, I pulled Sam aside and I was like, you know, he went, he went a really good 500, uh, came from behind, won the race. And I said, you know, that's good. But those laps in the beginning, they count too, you know. Um, and if we're, if it's a, a meet where it's, you know, he wants me to be dad, all I care about is where, where are we eating afterwards? <laughs> you know, where are we eating? He loves Wendy's. I'm like, we going to Wendy's? He's like, yeah, we're going to Wendy's. Uh, so I, we, we, the two of us each have done a real good job of, of, of that separation, I think. And, uh, and we keep it fun. Um, I, I, one of the best compliments I got, and two of our seniors told me this at, at different times this year, they laughed like, Coach Flack, you'd never know Sam was your son. And I'm like, well, then I must be doing something okay. You know? but, uh, but I am so, super proud of his accomplishments. Um, he, work, you know, he works hard. He's always there. And uh, by his choice, uh, he's always ready for morning practice before I am. Uh, and, and he gets the jokes, you know, uh, we, we work hard, but we, we try to have a lot of fun with it. So he, he, he gets the jokes too. And he's got a great little crew of kids. And that's the other cool thing for me. Like most of the boys, the local boys on our team, you know, they've been over for sleepovers. They've been over for birthday parties or whatever, uh, before. So, um, you know, they've seen me in that whole dad mode uh we, we we have a lot of fun give each other a lot of a lot of grief about sports they're all into their most of them are into sports and uh we just have a good time with it are you able to and i guess my original question is has coaching your son helped you or changed you as a coach at all but i guess the more direct version of that is so are those guys who have been over for, you know, the sleepovers and, and the birthday parties and stuff, are they able to pick coach Dan or, you know, but, you know, Sam's dad, Dan, to kind of talk to? Are there, are you able to, because you have such a close relationship with those kids, kind of compartmentalize and go from one relationship to another with them as well? Yes, it actually works out pretty really good because I turn, I turn off coach Dan real quick as soon as practice is done. Yeah. Um, and, and go to 
to, um, I, I, again, talking smack to him and uh, keeping, that vi- keeping that vibe going. Um, you know, now they're in high school and stuff, and I may be dumb, I'm not stupid. Some of them I notice, hey, I notice you're, you're kind of like, you like this one, you know, this girl. You're kind of starting to like her a little bit, aren't you? You know, <laughs> give them grief about that. Uh, but we, but now nah, we we have we have a lot of fun about it. And that's why, you know, on one side, this year's been so difficult and challenging because of all the COVID stuff. But on the other side, it's been a piece of cake um, because uh, uh, they know not to take me too too seriously. Uh, they, you know, it'll be clear when I'm going to be taken serious. But uh, the rest of the time, uh, we try not to te- take each other too seriously. It's, I'm assuming that you still have that ability uh, to intimidate them too. When you need to kind of get something extra out of them, there's still uh, that ability to reach in and, and be able to push them and push the buttons the way that, you know, you've been able to do with so many athletes over your years. Well, people, people tell me that uh, I can be a little intimidating at times, uh, especially when that, you know, I, the, the Philadelphia, even though I'm in my 50s, the Philadelphia, growing up in Philadelphia, chip on my shoulder is alive and well, uh, especially when I'm coaching. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I can get their attention. That's, that's not a problem. But isn't that somewhat a, a requirement to really lead? It's, it's a coach's stereotype in some ways, but it, it, it is that ability to – you know, command attention and intimidate to a certain, don't you think that's kind of the it factor maybe in some ways? I I think just like, you know, I talk about having five gears in every, that every race you're, you know, in my mind, we're teaching you five different gears of swimming because in just about every race, uh, you're going to have to use those gears at some point. It may be only for two or three seconds, or it may be for 80% of the swim, but, you know, you're going to have to use those different gears. It's, just, it's no different uh, on the communication and emotional side in that, you know, you got to know when to crack the whip, uh, when to ease off, um, when to just, you know, it's clear Johnny or Sally's having a bad day. Just pull them out and be like, how about we try again tomorrow? Just whatever you, whatever's going on, go home. Take a deep breath, have a good meal, get a good night's sleep, and we'll, we'll live to fight another day tomorrow. Um, I think you have to have that, um, that at every level. Uh, I do make a point. Um, if the kids come into my office for some reason when they think they're in trouble uh, for what, whatever, uh, we deal, we got to deal with. And as they round the corner out of my office, I always, I've been doing this for 15 years here, I say the same thing. Now that wasn't so bad. Now it wasn't, you know, and, and that letting them know that, Hey, uh, things might be a little rocky. Things might be a little rough right now, but, but, uh, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and you're going to get through this, whatever this may be. You kind of alluded to it, but are there telltale signs when it's the right time to push for mental toughness and when it's the right time to pull back for mental toughness? Oh yeah. I, I think. 25, 30 years ago, I didn't know what they were. Yeah. You know, I had no clue. Uh, I, I very much know what they are now. Um, and again, it's the uniqueness of the situation in that 
Um, I, I, I see them on campus. I see them in the lunchroom. Um, I interact with them outside of the pool. Um, and it, and it's funny. It's like, it's like an old, old, you know, an old school neighborhood in that, um, whereas this is a big, beautiful campus in reality, it's a little place. And there's lots of, I know I'm like, I know a lot of people here, you know, there's a lot of eyes out there. Um, and I got lots of, you know, little birds telling me, Hey, just so you know, um, you know, such and such just failed a test or such and such just broke up with their, their boyfriend or, you know, or the flip side, you know, um, Hey, don't say anything, but such and such is getting a big honor in assembly today or whatever. Um, that, and that certainly helps as well. Certainly helps as well. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the mental dive. If we could get into maybe some details for, you know, some other pieces of it. Um, sure. when you're, when you're approaching the physical side, let's just, can we talk about like a, a typical training cycle, I guess would be an okay place to start. Like how you look at dividing up your weekly work or whether that's sure. three days, six day, whatever. I think that would kind of be a cool place for people to have a foundational understanding of, of how you uh, approach. Sure. Um, so our basic schedule with our, with our best top level kids, um, it's either two or three mornings a week in jet. And this is during the school year, uh, six to, um, seven 30 in the morning, usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Sometimes, uh, I've really bought into the notion of more sleep, especially with the adolescents. Uh, sometimes is better than throwing in an extra practice. So, uh, as we get closer to the big meet, I, happily throw in um I, i'll take away wednesday morning so they get that kind of three days of sleep rest um and start to have them come in a little later like 6 30. um that's tr the traditional morning practices that we do our schedule in the afternoon is um in general 350 to between 550 and 615 depending on the day and the time of year and who they are um, we let them out a little early on Friday because, I don't know, it's Friday. Why not? Um, so we usually whack about a half hour off of that. And then our um, our Saturday mornings are usually 7.30 till whenever we're done. Uh, Saturdays, we, we try and empty the tank. Uh, so that's the basic scheduling framework. The, um, you know, again, the COVID stuff made it really hard, but it also made me think a lot more. So um, I really like what we did this year um, in that, I mean, I like to experiment with a lot of stuff, but uh, I felt it really important to get the fluff out this year um, and stick to what I know works. Uh, and it's also a, a the way I train a group is the function of the talent in it. Um, I, I always kind of joke that whatever the best kids we have on the team, whatever their best event is, kind of everybody gets better at that. You, you, you know, it's just the, the kind of the way it is. It's human nature, I think. Um, 
So our morning practices are in general, um, an hour of general aerobic work, uh, nothing too hard. Um, we do a, uh, Chef Bachelor calls them Baylor 25s. Uh, we, but we do a variable speed set, um, literally every single practice. It's the same. Usually it's the same, uh, exact set. Um, and that kind of sets, sets us up for what we're going to do after that. So uh, the last activation of the anaerobic system through kind of fartlek stuff, like just activation of anaerobic system with some speed play fartlek type type stuff. Yes. Yes. And the other big thing in my mind is, um, well, there's two components. One, my, co it helps my coaching eye. Um, because it's, it's so repetitive and so frequent, um, I can tell, all right, they're looking good today or, whoa, you know, they're, they're swimming in mud. Maybe we need to tone it down a little bit. Um, I, I use it from that standpoint. And the other standpoint is this, um, you know, you got to understand the job you're hired to do. Uh, I tell that to coaches all the time. Sometimes I think coaches whiff on that. Um, and don't quite understand the job they're hired to do. And whereas I'm super proud of our club success, um, my employer is much more proud of our high school success. Um, and, you know, you go to a high school championship meet, there's only three events that are longer than 100. So everybody on the team needs to have a speed component. Uh, like our boys team this year, I can think of only maybe like two kids on the whole team who are better at a hundred than they would be of a 200. I kept, I, like I tell our strength coach all the time, like, man, if, if we race college events, we would be a really, you know, we're a, we're a real good high school team. Now our boys, we'd be really good if we were uh, racing a college dual meet format, so to speak. Um, but uh so anyway, we do, we do that little speed play every day, and then we go into uh, power work. And um, I really wanted to get back to uh, being known as a team that was going to beat everybody off the walls. Uh, I really wanted to, to get back to being dominant at that fifth stroke, uh, the underwater component. So uh, we um, – one day, I literally, um, like a lot of times, I don't even write practices now. Um, I, I know what we're going to do. I've got the basic plan. I watch that first component and see if that still fits. Um, but I sat down for literally every kid on the team. One day, I just locked myself in my office, put up the do not disturb sign, and um, I went through morning practice, once we got clearance um, to be able to, to, to run our practices so that we could use our power towers, et cetera, uh, from a COVID standpoint, um, you know, the lane limitations were lifted and we, we, could, um, we could really run it like the way I'd like to. Um, I mapped out the entire year of okay, here's what we're doing today, which leads into the next, which leads into the next, and how to manage it so that every single kid 
could get exposed to it, um, which is tricky. But we were able we were able to pull it off. Um, so like this morning, this morning would be a very typical situation. Uh, Monday is we work on fly. Wednesday we work on backstroke. Thursday or Friday we work on breaststroke. Uh, uh, and our and everybody's 200 IM got a whole lot better. Uh, I really wish we could have had more kids have the opportunity to raise 400 IMs because they'd have been darn good too. But uh, but we 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 try and and do that. So I set that whole thing up working, knowing that that fifth stroke is such a critical part of what we do. Um, and I just gave the kids a lecture the other day on, I'm amazed when I go to meets that, uh, long course meets, that even people who I know are really good underwater, I don't think use it as much as they do in the short pool. Um, I, I, I don't think they, they weaponize it. That's the word I, I like to use. Uh, so I've been talking to them a lot about, you know, continuing to weaponize even though the course is now a long course that we're training to keep on weaponizing and, and maximizing the distance. I'm always like, they give you 15 meters. Why are you only using 10 if you're good at it? You know, um, uh, I, I try and keep things simple a lot of times, but, uh, it's an example of a good underwater set. So what we did, so I ripped this off of, uh, I saw a lecture by, uh, Braden Howell at NC State, um, and I and I ripped this progression off from him, and um, we got a lot better, so we just kept doing it. Um, we'll go uh, like last week; it was eight reps at seven kicks with uh, one. We've got kind of different levels on our our bucket at level one um, on a certain amount of rest. It was 15 seconds rest. Next, to this week, it was, uh, we did 12 repetitions at nine kicks at that same level. Again, timing them, making sure that they're, they're kicked. I, I spent a lot of time think, focusing on kick tempo. Um, their kick tempos were at race, race speed. And we just progress it three times a week. Um, we put the kick out sticks out all the time. So you kind of have to kick out underneath them. Uh, and piping with a little uh, noodle on the end. Yeah, you can correct. essentially clip on to the lane line and it acts as a physical barrier for the kids to be able to go a certain length of, of underwater past it just to kind of set the visual for those of you listening, I love. Yep. Them. I mean, they're great. We did a we used to do a rope in the middle, but the the little um, barriers are much simpler, and you can you can use them a little more efficiently. Yeah. So so it's a simple progression, um, and eventually it kicks in. Um, there'll be some swimming at the end of it uh, that kicks in. Um, we usually do most of our underwater work with fins. Um, I like the little arena fins and resistance. Um, so you'll put fins and the, the buckets. Correct. Correct. Um, and you can, you know, you can really start to measure. I commented one kid this morning. I'm like, look how much farther you're getting out of the same kicks, same amount of kicks, you know, look how much farther 
uh, look how much faster. This is, I like stuff that's measurable that I can show them, hey, you just got faster, congratulations. Um, so that, that's, that's one of the things that we do. The biggest thing, so a lot of people have asked how we've gotten good at it. And I've just said, you, got, you just gotta commit to it and do it. Um, and get out of the mindset of, well, we gotta get 5,000 in this practice. Well, no, you don't, you gotta get better. That's the biggest thing. That's what we're trying to do here. Um, and some practices that may take 5,000, some that may take 10, some it may take two, but you got it. But, but the goal is to get better. Um, and I, I think that's something that a lot of club coaches whiff on. They, they mess with it for a little bit and then get bored. And I, I say, you know, it takes a while to weaponize it. It's a, you know, anybody can do it off that first ball. Who wins off the last ball? That's what I'm looking for. Um, Why do you think they get away from it? I mean, just because it does take time away from possibly more yardage. A lot of, and a lot of times, and a lot, a lot of times, they just can't really do it. Ideally, due to lane constraints, and you know, you gotta, you gotta meet your budget. So you gotta have a certain amount of kids in the pool, and and that kind of stuff. And you know, the. I mean, we're fortunate. Um, we've been a uh, silver club for a while now, so I've always gone with the thought process of uh, when we get apply for grant money, um, I go with the thought process of trying to put two years of it uh, towards performance and then one towards club development. Like we've, we've invested, thrown a lot of money at our swimming lesson program, and it's really served as well uh doing that but so we a lot of a lot of clubs don't have the money to buy you know five or six power towers you know that's a an assistant coach's salary for you you know i mean you know a lot of places so and i think it's i think it's much more that um and that it which causes the cycle to go where they never see that benefit uh, of one of their kids at a junior nationals, you know, pushing off the last wall and blowing everybody away. And, you know, their heat two of 33 and, but look at them now they're in finals, you know, that gets your attention as a coach, right? That, wow, that really worked well. We need to do that more. Um, I think those are all factors to it. And it's hard. There's years I've gotten away from it. Um, you know, sometimes there's a new shiny toy out there that my wife is convinced I have adult ADD. So I squirrel a, a lot of times on, ooh, what's that? Let's try that. But doesn't that keep you somewhat fresh? Doesn't that keep you growth-minded for somebody who has been the head coach? It's sometimes a lonely gig. And when you've been there for 15 years, I mean, it'd be really easy to get complacent. You got everything you need there. You've proven how to do it over and over again. And at some point you do want to stop, you know, taking everything in. At least I learned this as a young coach and, and trying to do everything. Same guilty of adult ADD, you know, where I want to try this and I want to do it this way. And this makes sense. So I get really excited about it here. Right. But at a certain point you want to take everything that you know and just, you know, trust yourself and, and move forward. 
Um, don't you give yourself a little credit for like, cause I remember you were showing me kettlebells 12 years ago, like 13 years ago when people were just barely starting to use them. And now I've seen, you know, in the 12 years since then, I've seen it used in progressions for streamlines and cool places. Yeah. You know, I know that you've also explored other areas. Um, I guess what's the most recent, I could get distracted with this question. What's the most recent thing that you've been excited in the last year to kind of go try and, uh, and do? It's almost like every fad, what is old is new, right? Yeah. Um, that's happened to me a lot. Uh, so I got this progression for 500 swimmers. That's how it started. And, and now just kind of uh, extrapolating that out for 200s of stroke, for even hundreds, et cetera. Um, you know, I laugh, I laugh um, about the whole uh, thing. You're, you, you do a lot of the, the usurp stuff, right? Um, don't you do that? Don't Oh, USRPT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Race pace yeah. for sure. I definitely yeah. uh, have a big background in, for a while, we were doing exclusive with right. progressive, but not like exclusive, like Rushall would want you to do exclusive, but definitely low yardage, right. high intensity, yeah. trying to use that as the metric that we were kind of tracing was, you know, amount of yardage at 100 pace, amount of yardage Correct. at pace. Correct. I've probably come to a place where we do a lot more supportive work because I've found that you can do a lot more of that specific work when you do more supportive work. But right. anyway, yes, I, I definitely enjoy and believe that that adaptation that happens at race pace and practice is the one that I want to maximize. And it works, you know, it's the same dog, different fleas in my mind, what I'm doing with what I do. And I kind of started out with this uh, thing where we do just a bunch of 75s. Um, like the kids, especially that middle distance, 200 500 group, you know, they know on a Monday they're doing 75s. I mean, they, they just know. Um, so I've been trying to play with that and extrapolate that out um, and seeing the impact of it on different strokes. Uh, one of the things I'm really into now, our breaststroke got a ton better this year because um, I laughed and I was like, wow, I have had some really good breaststroke groups. This group is not one of them. Uh, but if we're going to be good at the IM, we got to get better at it. Uh, there's, there's nobody who, there's literally nobody in our group where I look down the pool and be like, God, look at that gorgeous breaststroke kick, right? Um, so, uh, I've really gone with the notion of, we do a ton and always have of, uh, breaststroke pull with a dolphin kick with, um, a pretty rapid tempo, um. And I started, I had a guy, Sam McHugh, back in the day, who was a good swimmer and, you know, finaled at nationals and stuff as a high schooler. And it got his real weakness, though, was his breaststroke. He's a tremendous butterflyer. Uh, so I started to play with, what if we made it more like butterfly, right? Um, and so now our IMers, their breaststroke is perilously close to becoming a strength. Um, and it's because I, I keep on telling them, 
we're going to become front wheel drive cars. Okay, we're no more rear wheel drive, i.e. the breaststroke kick. We're going to do a lot of our work from the front part, from the pull, and from more from the body motion of it, and just do a little thing in the back that makes you still legal. Um, and that's really something that we've worked on a lot this year. Um, when, when I first try and teach it to new kids, sometimes they look at me like I got four heads. They're like, what are you talking about? Um, Do you teach it really wide? Is that how you get more out of those arms is by forcing them? Because I've definitely changed my thoughts of a narrow out front breaststroke to everybody seems to agree that this wider breaststroke. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, quit, quit swimming breaststroke like this. Okay, I'm always like, pull from your fingertips more. Get more from your fingertips, more from your fingertips. Um, and, and, and it, and it, it help. it goes with the power work that we do. Cause I'm always talking about try and make your body a whip, try and make your body a whip and to get them to use their whole, whole body to swim, not just their arms and legs. Um, but that's something that we've really, um, you know, turned up the volume on. Uh, 75s race pace for breaststrokers too. Oh yeah. It's yeah. tough for the race pace is tough with breaststrokers because like on a 75 race pace, you could put them on one Oh five, one minute for some kids, you know, depending on the level, but breaststrokers get screwed because <laughs> they get no rest in those 75 scenarios. Well, well, I would, I would move the breaststrokers there in their own land. as I refer to it. Um, we do a lot of it with fins. Again, it's like we, I use fins a lot. Um, I'd say, 70% of our long course training is done with fins. Um, I actually, the better freestylers like today, they're going to try and replicate a kind of a, if we were doing the colors, a red threshold set. Um, and I'm having them use the, and I, that's why I like the arena fins because they're short, they're a little heavier. Um, so you got to work them or you're screwed. You have no chance, right? You've got to work your, the, the kick. Um, and, I, and I try and crank the intervals perilously close to what we would do yards. Uh, now, one of my big philosophies is, and this was, I like to talk to the kids in between reps. So I don't do a ton of short rest stuff. I'd rather give you more rest than have you go fast. Uh, Again, it's the ADD. I can't stand watching slow swimming. I get bored with that very easy. Um, unless, it's, unless that's the point. Unless it's the point is just take a nice long job. Uh, then I'm fine with it. But if we're trying to go, let's go. Um, and I don't mind giving them a good bit of rest and, and talking to them. You know, like a couple summers ago, Trey Freeman finaled in the 200, 400, and 800 nationals as a high schooler. Um, and people, of course, was asking me, well, how much yardage does he do in a week? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. I know what chain energy system we're touching each day. Um, and a lot of those days, I could tell you how many times he, you know, pushed 26.2 for a 50 or, you know, or 56.6 for a 100. Now, those I count. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the other times, I don't really worry about uh, the other yardage as long as his stroke is staying on point. So uh, tracking what he's doing at that top end gear, or at least that he's hitting that. I guess, the, do, you, do you track any of the, the metrics? Is there anything in there that you're keeping track of throughout your season? Because you've said 
you know, you don't necessarily need to day to day write sets. Um, you obviously know what you want to touch on, what energy groups. Um, it, is there a three day cycle for those energy groups? Is there three different types of things or do you do, do you hit all of those within each practice? Uh, yeah. So, I, sorry, I, I got a little out in the weeds there. Uh, back to your original question. Okay. Yes. So, um, so Monday afternoons is usually if, if you're using colors, it's reddish, it, it's threshold work on Monday afternoon. That's yeah. it, it, my view of what threshold work is. Um, Tuesday afternoon is usually either speed play or just pure speed. Um, Wednesday afternoon is the biggest yardage day of the week, but if you've done the other days right, I think it's the easiest. Um, a lot of times there aren't intervals, stuff is on, you know, three 1200s on a minute rest, do a hundred of this, hundred of that, you know, uh, blah, 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 keep your heart rate in this zone, make sure you're holding your line off the wall, that kind of swimming. Um, Thursday afternoon is usually shorter thresholdy kind of stuff. Uh, and say if you're a freestyler and a butterfly or a freestyler and a backstroker, there'd be more backstroke focus on that day, more of your, your prime stroke. Um, Friday afternoon is speed and toys because it's Friday, right? People want to go fast on Friday. Why not? Uh, and then Saturday is hard. Saturday's hard. Uh, Whatever that means, whatever where we are in the season, uh, back to back to um, back to coaching your own child. There's a time it was not last summer when Sam first moved up into my group um, that we were doing 6100s long course, and that was that was a huge step up in tax bracket for him compared to what he had been doing to that point in his swimming. Um, and in my mind, I laughed and I was like, this is probably the hardest, literally the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. Um, and about 32 or so, I can, I can tell he's kind of crying in his goggles, right? Uh, and I'm like, oh, and, and the parent, you know, in, in me, it's, it's tugging at the heartstrings. Uh, the coach in me, finds it pretty funny i'm like come on boy get get through this and you're good because because this will serve you well uh later on in the summer and sure enough that's that summer was the summer where he kind of had his big breakthrough and really really took off and drank the kool-aid and got all into it. so um but that so that would be a basic week um and as far as metrics, are you tracking that volume? You're not tracking the volume per week, you said, because when people would ask you about Sam, you didn't really know. But um, you're, you're tracking their ability to hit that top speed when he hit a 26.2 or was going those fast hundreds. Is that something that you're just – is that one of the coach's eye pieces that tells you where they're at and what they need? Yeah, and I pay a lot of attention to how hard it is for them to do it. Yeah. You, you know, I, I – uh, like kind of in my mind, like if you're teaching somebody the 500 and you want them to break 420, um, you know, they got to be out in 49 easy. Plenty of people can go out 49 hard and, you know, the wheels come off 
off the bus uh, about that 350 mark. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time, I'll write little notes on, like I won't just say, write down notes or make notes on what the times were. It was how easy was it, stroke count. You know, I, I put a lot of, uh, I, I asked the question, well, why can't a 400 meter freestyler swim with more of a sprinter stroke if the sprinters go faster, you know? Uh, yeah, it's gonna be hard and not everybody's gonna be able to do it, but those who can, wow, it ought to be something special. So like with Trey Freeman uh, on, his, on his key sets of the week, I'd do an S or an NS. An S meant that there was splash coming off his shoulders. As, as he was, you know, driving forward. Because uh, I always talk to him and all the kids about swimming in a little tube. Because the best sprinters in the world, they're not way out here, they're in a little tube. And they're traveling the fastest out of all, all of us. Um, so I try and get him in a little tube. Um, and NS would mean no splash. And that was always really good. That means shoulder caps were clear and he was in that little tube. Um, and, uh, the way I envisioned him racing, not just with the time, but how it would look, it was replicating that. So kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I could dive in. I, I mean, it, it, I don't want to take too much more of your time so we can do some rapid fire and kind of close this out. But when you can, do you have a, a little bit more time? I got all day. Okay. I got all day. When you say swim in a tube, you are trying to keep them long. So, okay, here's what I'm trying to get at. This is something that I've had a little pet peeve with lately. And it started on my own, but then Russell Mark really put some fuel on my fire when he talked about rotation and um, the need to make sure that you're not over-rotating. Because this was my pet peeve, is that when you rotate too far, the shoulder and the elbow that you're trying to get up on top of the water are way down here. So teaching kids, you know, to use their body, but use it as more of a pivot is, is something that I'm trying to do. But I also completely agree in, I call it the cylinder O speed because if they can round out those corners, you I'm can totally definitely. ripping that off. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> cylinder O speed. So you can, it's yours now, but um, you kind of talk a little bit more about it, I guess, and what you're trying to get from that long skinny line um if i ever tell somebody that they look tall in the water that's really good mm -hmm. that's ideally that's what i want you to look like um I, I i talk in terms like i talk about don't make your laps longer try and make your laps shorter you'll be able to get done them sooner and isn't that what at the end of the day what we're trying to do here um so uh I just know the whole, in my mind, uh, the best people that I've coached, there's been such little resist, frontal resistance. So, you know, different body types achieve that different ways. Uh, but if we can get you, um, if, if we can get you in that narrow line as little as possible, um, or excuse me, as much as possible, in that narrow line, ha having you wiggle outside of it, causing resistance as little as possible, um, you're gonna swim faster, and it's gonna be, e I, 
I'm a big easy speed guy. Again, can you do the time easy as opposed to, you know, killing yourself? Uh, so that's what I really want to try and emphasize with them, um, especially in the long pool because they're just swimming so much more. We do a drill called touch, touch, attack um, a lot, which is a touch in the front, touch back here, and then that really trying to launch that forward with that frontal clearance. We do that a lot with fins on. Um, it's kind of one of those things where we started in the beginning of practice with the fins on a lot uh, to kind of set it up. Um, and ideally, it, it carries over into the main part of the practice. And especially law enforcement, a lot of times our, our main main set of the, of the session is with fins on. Um, because again, if, if you don't use your legs, you don't make the set. <laughs> yeah, and even though you're wearing the fins, it's not like those fins are doing the work. Like you talk about those heavy uh, shoulder uh, arena fins are really forcing those legs to still activate and use those muscles. So tons of good stuff. I hope that uh, all the young coaches out there appreciate and even the older coaches should appreciate all the info that you kind of helped share with us today. So. Dan, I really appreciate your time. Um, I hope we can catch up again soon because uh, it's always a pleasure and I always learn so much. So thank you so much, Dan. Happy to do it. This was great. Anytime. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.